hello and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, from the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State, coming to you live from room 420 inside of Diff and Boss. Save your jokes at the door. I am your host, Nicholas Carlisle, bringing you the latest, greatest, and Florida statest in everything sports, or at least as much as we can fit within the hour for people all around the world. Of course, you can find us on Twitter at talk underscore Tomahawk. I think Luke is on the handle tonight, so make sure that you send him a nice and thoughtful message. And you can call into the show at 850-644-1837. Once again, that's 850-644-1837. Welcome to Tomahawk Talk, everyone. And uh, just like Bryce Harper, we too are trying to bring a title back to D.C. <laughs> all, all jokes aside, Florida State football started back up this week, and the team is really looking forward to bring a title back to Gainesville. Uh, <laughs> boo. Okay. One too, many, one, too, one too many times into that cookie jar. Seriously, this time, Florida State football started up the, uh, the first of spring practices this week. I did not personally attend, Chris. I don't know if, if you did. The, was, the media I was availability. nice and, and, and asleep in my nice warm bed this morning. I was asleep in my nice warm bed this morning, so no, I was not there. <laughs> uh, but I, I can say that from what people have told me, um, so I guess you could say it's a source within a source, that the team is, is really excited and energetic, and it, it was a good first practice to get things rolling again. Um, I did see a video of Warren Thompson absolutely blowing by a cornerback in uh, practice today, which, yes, it's the first practice. Uh, it could be a good or bad thing, depending on how you want to look at it, that it may be the wide receiver put in a nice move and well you know how well, Florida State not showing off too much speed especially if you're looking at the combine yeah I was about to say <laughs> what yeah what you can't uh, dis- dispute whether it's good or bad is Nyquan Murray's 40 yard dash time um, I'm trying not to be a savage uh, but that was not a good look for Nyquan uh, looked a little bit out of shape I not want to talk but nonetheless I'm not you know, trying to make bank in the NFL. Uh, we all have a lot to shop through tonight, so let's get everything going. What is a captain without his crew? I am joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Chris Camacho. How was your week, then? So, uh, week's been pretty good. It's only Monday, so... Uh, well, I mean last week, too. It's on it. He'll be dressed professionally and be, and be able to boss up on the court. <laughs> when it comes to Carmelo Anthony, uh, and... It's, it's taken a little bit for me to get to this full opinion, um, but Carmelo Anthony has kind of become the gold digger of the, uh, the NBA, um, going from team to team, wrapping up contracts. I mean, what are the Hawks paying him for, for that, that tenure there? What are the Bulls? I mean, everybody, there's at least two or three teams that bought out uh, Carmelo just to release him, you know, three days later. They are play him and pay him than play him. Right. Which it's kind of concerning that you would have to say that even, <laughs> but uh, the fact that I guess there's two prevailing thoughts, you know, because there's two sides to every negotiation, right? There's there's Carmelo's side, and then there's obviously the Lakers side. So which on which side did this negotiation break down on? If this broke down on the Lakers side and Magic Johnson, the GM, uh, and I, that's Le, Le yeah, the GM as in LeBron, because uh, <laughs> you know that he's a part of that. Um, <laughs> If if the the talks were ended on the Lakers side, and you know they basically said, hey, you know it doesn't look like we're going to be making the playoffs this year. There's no point for us to bring you in. There's no point in wasting that time and energy. But if it was on Carmelo's side that the contract negotiations broke down, I stand by my statement even furthermore. Carmelo was the biggest gold digger in the NBA, and you could tweet that, Luke. I mean, you talk about what he did with the New York Knicks, and he opted for all the money to stay in New York uh, to to try and get players. Uh, at least I imagine that's what his goal was at the time. He took all this money. He didn't go for a championship. And now, at the end of his career, it's like, oh, no, i got to get a championship. I might as well you know, just hop on with the team that will want me the most and that could probably afford me the most. And the fact that, oh, well, hey, the Lakers are just kind of falling out of playoff contention. Eh, I don't want you anymore. Yeah, well, it's, it's like those BuzzFeed videos that you see <laughs> of these guys pranking these girls. It's like, hey, uh, you know, let's go on a date, whatever. And it's like there's a Lamborghini and then a really bad car next oh, to it. And then the, girl, the girls think it's the Lamborghini. And it's like, eh, never mind. That's what Car- Carmelo Anthony is doing to the Los Angeles Lakers right now if the contract negotiations fell through. On his side, I think it's hard to see it breaking down on the Lakers side. If anything, there's no way the Lakers are like, oh, I guess we're giving up on the season. No, they're they're trying to bring in as much help as possible, even if it is a guy like Carmelo Anthony. Like, it's just 
they need the help. I I can see this from Carmelo's standpoint being like, listen, you're not going to take me to the playoffs. Let's keep looking around. Well, I mean, it's I, I mean, he does have other options, but sure. I mean, I would think that just on a personal standpoint, you'd want to play with LeBron. You know that LeBron can get you there, even though the pieces aren't there this season. It doesn't look like that anyway. You know, I I just I guess I don't, don't understand it. Uh, that was the off the top segment brought to you uh, by the panel, sponsored by me. You know that whole spiel changes every time. <laughs> don't keep it written da- written down. But uh, Chris, you you made a great point at the at the beginning of the show. It was a very exciting weekend for Seminole sports. Um, you know, women's softball keeps rolling. They did have their first scare of the season. I guess I could properly call it the first scare uh, against Toledo, and they were able to fight back and. Uh, get the win on that uh, and stay unbeaten, much like the men's baseball team, uh, still uh, undefeated with hey, only with only three more wins to go before Mike Martin's uh, two thousand. They themselves having a bit of a scare. Mercer was not not as easy a team as as say Maine or um, Youngstown State. Youngstown State. No, Mercer Mercer definitely had a very hot lineup going in. I remember looking at the the. Um, the batting average is going into that game, Chris, and I'm sure Mercer hadn't played anybody too difficult up until that point. But you know, all batting above 300, and you know, it was it, it was a very uh, it was a nice up in uh, the the test for uh, Florida State uh, baseball. But as far as women's softball uh, is concerned, I mean, the only thing that this team has done wrong is that they haven't been playing enough at home. <laughs> uh, they spend so much time in Clearwater and uh, I'm not won't be home Orlando until, until the 15th. They're going to they're going to they're going to Arizona. To Arizona. Yeah, and then oh, that's right, because they're in Orlando right now. Then they're going to Arizona, uh, and they'll be back in Tallahassee on the fifteenth. And uh, Megan King uh, posting fourteen strikeouts uh, as the as the Knolls stayed un- stayed undefeated uh, this weekend. Dakota, what what does she mean? I mean, obviously she's by far and away one of the best players on this softball team. But what does she mean as a just as a leader for for these women on the softball team? Well, when you've got someone who's out there taking care of their job and she she's acting like she's been here before, and when you're on a team with someone like that, it eases the burden on you immensely because suddenly, you know, you ain't got to worry about, oh, is my does my teammate got this play, no matter what sport it is. You know, if she's out there knocking, just setting them up and knocking them down pretty much at the batter's plate, rest of her team – they only have to worry about their job, and it makes it a lot easier. Jacob, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, like Dakota said, um, she's been here before. You know, she was on that national title winning team last year, um, and it also helps when she can go out there by her. You know, not only is she a leader, but she'll go out there and she'll strike out 14 by herself. You know, she just got named um, ACC Pitcher of the Week as well. So not only is she a leader in the clubhouse, but she's also out on the field, and she's one of the best pitchers in the country. Uh, I I honestly couldn't agree with that more. And it really, I mean, so I think you were told, telling me today, Chris, or yesterday, that somebody was batting over 500 on the team, and I didn't get a chance to see who that was. Uh, for for softball. For softball. Uh, Sydney Sherrill right now is batting 509. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. With a uh, six six eleven batting average. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. A 965 slugging percentage. Wow. It means Ooh. she gets a lot more than just singles. <laughs> uh, that indeed. So I mean. It's hard to talk about women's softball because all you can just say is, wow, this team is so great, and everybody knows that it's so great. So, I mean, what, we'll, we'll just have to wait until, I don't know, maybe a, lo- maybe a loss. Maybe. I, I don't well, know. I mean, obviously. Whenever that may be. They, they have won 27 in a row, if I remember correctly, and I believe 34 is the highest that they've ever had. A 34-game 30, consecutive. 30, 30, 34 consecutive win streak. So maybe that'll, maybe that'll bring a little bit more. Uh, spice into the con- in seasoning into the conversation, but um, men's baseball again, as, as we said, in conjunction with uh, women's softball, also undefeated, had a very uh, interesting series against Mercer, uh, down a couple of times. Uh, but I think what really was was shown this weekend uh, is how they're going to handle uh, that Sunday starter, Chris. And Shane Drohan got his his first quote unquote Sunday start. Uh, Austin Pollock had a nice appearance out of the bullpen. Mm-hmm. But how would you rate his performance in that game? He went three. I think he went three innings and one out. Three, yeah, three and a third. Yeah. Um. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what Eleven said. He, because Eleven was asked the same question, uh, and he actually rated him uh, C plus, if I'm not mistaken. Not not a great not a great uh not a great outing for Shane Johan. But <coughs> however, I'll, I'll I'll tell you the reasoning, and that's because 
after 58 uh, pitches, I believe that's that's when Johan had enough. You know the um, when you're when you're trying to rely on a starter to take you five innings, you need to be able to push past just 58 pitches. Um, unfortunately, he wasn't hitting a lot of his spots. Has a great curveball, just isn't hitting quite in the corners where he needs to 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 nail those strikeouts. But honestly, I think the strength of this bull uh, of of this team comes from its bullpen. Uh, starting pitching overall is great. I, I think it's I think it's nice that Florida State has its Friday Saturday starter in uh, Drew Parrish and C J Van Eyck. It's finding that uh, that Sunday starter. And you know the batting order has also been uh, really interesting. Now Reese Albert is out for I think about two to three weeks with a thumb injury, guys. Yes. Um, and now J C Flowers has moved into that two spot, and boy does he deserve it. I mean he's had a couple of poor hitting seasons at Florida State his first two. Um, he'd only played I think a fraction of his games last year because of a broken jaw, mm-hmm. and now he's you know he's I think first on the team in runs scored. Uh, he's stolen a couple of bases. He's got a he's got a home run on the season, which, you know, that's not something that you see from him right. very often. Not a great Sunday though. Not me. a great Sunday. No, he went 0 for five. Not a great with Sunday. With four strikeouts. However, what is significant is that even after having an 0 for day, which is really hard for any baseball player to go through, was still able to pitch a final. Uh, he pitched the ninth inning of that game. Was able to close it out. Pitched really well. He ended the game on a strikeout. Um, and you know, Mike Martin just spoke to. The competitiveness and, and that ability to have a short-term memory and get out there and compete no matter what sort of trials and tribulations you're going through that day. Dakota, how, how confident are you in, in the uh, the freshman? Um, and I know that we've talked about it on the show, but I haven't asked you specifically. How do you feel about the freshman and the depth that they've been able to give Florida State this season thus far? Well, I think it shows, especially this weekend, going through – when you look at the third innings, FSU has loved the third inning the past two games, especially if you look at uh, when they faced that 1-0 early deficit against Mercer over the weekend. They got to that third inning, and it wasn't like, you know, Mendoza just hitting a two-run shot as opposed to the game on Sunday. That was 11 combined runs in a single inning. Right. Jacob, anything to add to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, like uh, Dakota said, I mean, you've got the uh, Robbie Martins leading the team right now um, as a freshman, leading the team in batting average. And um, it's actually interesting. Uh, he only has one home run, which I actually I like. You know, he's spraying the ball over the field. He's got seven doubles. Um, I just think that I think that Robbie Martin's going to be something really special here at FSU. If there was one thing that you two could point towards us, something that the the baseball team needs to work on what would that be i would probably say just make the make the runs more consistent instead of ha- having this hot cold where they just pile on the runs in one inning make it consistent throughout the game that that'll be a result that's a lot easier to attain with consistently throughout the season it's a lot more it's a lot more consistent result and easier to aim for when you're training than just hoping, you know, bottom of the eighth and you're down 2-0, that you're going to have, you know, a three-run shot get hit off, you know, 482 yards. Yeah, Chris, uh, the, the team has its, well, I guess, fingers crossed, right, <laughs> the first weekday game uh, this season because everything mm-hmm. else has been rained out and canceled. Well, funny enough, it was um, moved to Wednesday. It was supposed to, to be on Tuesday, right? but with weather conditions, yeah. So praying. Uh, so uh, University of North Florida Ospreys. I think Florida State has an eight to two advantage on the team, but the last time that they played was in uh, 2010. So just based off what what you've seen, just a quick I guess prediction for this one-off game. What do you see? Is this uh, another game that's going to get us closer to uh, Mike Martin's 2000th, or do you think it's going Florida State is going to um, yeah I guess falter on the road? Well, see, I I think I'd actually like to contest what. Uh, what Dakota said in okay. that in that they are I I think offensively they have been fairly consistent in the sense that that you know you have the nice thing about this lineup as a, compared to last year's lineup is is you know in the late in the latter half of the lineup you almost you had a bit of a hole in that you know you knew once you got to the 7 8 9 spot you weren't going to get much production but honestly you've got hitters all throughout it, it, um can everybody is everybody going to get a hit every time they get up to the plate? Of course not. J.C. Flowers, he had an amazing home run that first weekend. 
uh, he's been kind of inconsistent in that sense. However, I think their ability to produce runs, um, and honestly, the power from guy from freshmen like Elijah Cabell, Robbie Martin, um, Cooper Swanson, Cooper Sw- well, Cooper Swanson. He's had three home runs in well, three home runs in three separate games now right. in a row, which no, is incredible. Which is and he, I mean, he he launched that ball, and you could tell from the swing that he got absolutely all of it. Oh, and he, yeah. He knew the whole team knew it was the whole university knew <laughs> that was out. Um, but I think to answer to finally answer your question, um, I think this will bring Mike Martin to two games uh, closer to okay. win number two thousand, and I think they'll get win number two thousand on Saturday in uh, in time. You think so? I think okay. so. Well, uh, Jacob, I mean, when you take a look at what the pitching has done, I know we've already touched on it a little bit. Uh, just reading a stat here. Uh, on the season, Florida State pitchers have hit double-digit strikeouts in seven of ten games. Now, obviously, that's a that's a pretty impressive stat, but ideally, you you know, you want to have your movement guys, you know, guys that really filter the off-speed pitches and just manage everything well and have nice command of the pitches. But you know, you also have those guys that pitch to contact and are really good at getting people, or excuse me, getting batters to hit bad balls. Do you do you see any situation in where? Um, the finesse of these FSU's pitchers could eventually come back to bite them in the sense that maybe um, when something's not working, strikeouts just aren't going to cut it. Yeah, I think that there's definitely some teams out there um, that, you know, some of those small ball, more fundamental teams that I think that they could have trouble with. Um, and I think that, uh, like you guys said, there's been some shuffling around with the pitching order and trying to figure that out. And I think they really uh, – the biggest thing for me is – they just need to find that stability and stick with it because baseball is such a long grind of a season. I think the more consistency you have, the more that you know what's going to happen when you show up kind of deal. I think that that just kind of puts everyone at ease. And they've also got some big games coming up. You know, they've got um, they've got a three-game set with NC State, who's currently ranked, as well as uh, a road trip to Gainesville to play uh, Florida, who's number five right now next week. So. And that is going to definitely be a very interesting game. It's always kind of the first, um, I guess, test for the for the baseball team, uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how they hold up to the task. Well, uh, when it comes to basketball, we're going to switch gears here. Basketball, Florida State. Uh, the women already ended last week. We'll get to the women because I think it, it, there's a lot to talk about in terms of how just impressive. And uh, I'm I'm excited to you know with you guys to take a look at the arc of this team and how you know what we saw at the beginning of the year and how that's transformed. But we'll get into that. As far as the men are concerned, uh, big game against Virginia Tech uh, tomorrow. Uh, they faced against they faced off against uh, the NC State Wolfpack over the weekend in a game that was a little scary for a little while. <laughs> um, but, I mean, NC State is one of those ACC teams that may not exactly uh, wow you all the time, but they definitely are a very, very tough out, so to speak. Um, Chris, what are your general thoughts about the Florida State NC State game a much better offensive performance I'd have to say in, in against NC State you had four players now scoring in double digits one of those uh, one of those guys being Terrence Mann a guy that has his that has had his ups and downs um, but honestly the most consistent and driving force I think in this game was Trent Forrest um, he had he had that great steal at the end of the game that essentially iced it um, and just his I, I think he has a great manner and a great presence on the court that has allowed him to really take control um, and be a dominating force uh, on this team. Dakota? I would like to add to that. You're, you're right on the money with the steals. He's got 57 on the year. That's more than twice as much as the next FSU player. If, wow. if they want wow. to continue doing what they're doing, they just unleash him. Have him play ball hawk. Have him play ball. Have him play ball hawk. <laughs> Put him uh, on their best man. If he's racking up these steals, he's got those quick hand movements. It's going to make it extremely annoying for the lead point guard of the other team to even start the offense. Right, and and the really determining factor in this game, guys, was free throws. Uh, Cabin Gelly. I mean, it. One thing that I guess we haven't necessarily touched upon for Cabin Gelly because he's certainly been the surprise and the thing to talk about this season for Florida State is really how amazing he is at the free throw line and that's something that often you don't see in a big man uh, the ability to knock down free throws and he ended up hitting a lot of free throws at the end of the game are you adding Shaq right now uh, <laughs> adding Shaq uh, Luke at Shaq on that one uh, <laughs> just kidding uh, I feel like Shaq will tweet it de- decimate this uh, the studio uh, <laughs> Jacob uh, the free throws and just really overall the poise of this team 
how much of a factor was that in getting the win here? Oh, I think you nailed it right on the head with the word poise. I think, uh, you know, you look at the stats, they they, sh- they only shot 3 of 13 from 3. Uh, they turned the ball over 16 times, 4 more than uh, North Carolina State. There were some times where it really looked like uh, NC State was gaining the momentum back. And I think that really good teams somehow find a way to win games that they necessarily shouldn't. And I think that that's exactly what Florida State did on Saturday. And I think, like you said, it was poise. It's poise, it's good coaching, and it's veteran leadership, which I think Florida excuse me, Florida State has all of. Uh, do you guys think that Florida State is back to the way that it was before the Duke loss? Because I'm not, I'm not going to say that they have not been back since the Duke loss, but that Duke loss really you could see a fundamental a mental shift in the team. And, of course, there was that three-game slide. And uh, they've had some kind of iffy games on games that theoretically they should have won. Do you think that this NC State uh, victory has fully – replaced Florida State back to where they should be heading into the ACC tournament. They do have one more game tomorrow and then another against Wake Forest, but the question still remains the same. Well, I, I think, you know, even even after the Duke, I, I, I should say, after the Boston College game, the final loss of that three-game slide, I, I think seeing that progression through the eight-game winning streak, was it? Yes. Eight or nine-game winning ACC winning winning streak, I think that's when you really started to see Florida State get into get into a rhythm, they, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they had a few wins that maybe they shouldn't have gotten. You know, just that ability to stay mentally in the game, not letting something like an eight-game winning streak get to their head. Um, I, I, I think I think it's been a great last few weeks, and, and you're right. I think this NC State win has solidified that. Jacob Dakota, I think I think they're just about there mentally. Because that that was a huge loss. It's not the easiest to recover. You do you do see teams they have that rebound game after taking a loss like that. You know, mentally they dig down and they're just determined to not have that again. But if they truly want to get over that, then VT would probably be their best bet. Mm-hmm. VT is coming off a win against Duke without VT's point guard. Right. And so, this is a team same pretty much same ACC record, same regular record. This is one of their hardest tests of the year. If they conquer this, they lock in fourth seed for the ACC tournament, and they're looking at being a higher seed than VT. It's it's a great way for them to head into these tournaments and March Madness. And and Dakota, actually, just to speak to that point, because you you talk about coming off a loss against. I I'm, I guess I'm speaking more so to the point about the loss off of North Carolina. They could have done the same thing that they did after losing to Duke which was going a two-game slide. But instead, you know, the game against Notre Dame, they come back to win it. The game against NC State, come back to win it. I think it's now they've, they've seen what can happen after losing a game that maybe they should have won. Granted, the Duke game was a lot closer than NC, than UNC. Um, but I think that ability to stay in a game even after losing so badly will take them a long way in the ACC and March Madness tournament. And we will get to that on the other side of the break. Uh, we're going to take a quick 90 seconds, and then on the other side, we are going to have the time-honored tradition here at uh, Tomahawk Talk, the seminal segment with Scott Clemens. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.
Good evening, everybody. This is Scott Clemens bringing you today's seminal segment. Florida State's softball team stayed undefeated this weekend after a couple of tough batches. Despite trailing by four runs early in the first game against Dartmouth, the Seminoles rallied behind a career performance from pitcher Megan King to win the game by a score of 8-4. to four. King had 14 strikeouts against the Big Green, a career high, and improved to 10-0 on the season. Playing UCF in the second match, the team again looked to King's leadership in a tight matchup. In this game, King allowed only a single run on nine hits as the Knowles also benefited from a fielding error from the Knights to finish the game with a 2-1 victory. With with these wins, FSU is currently on a 27-game winning streak dating back to last season, which is tied for second overall in program history. The team is currently playing UCF to finish up the three-game stretch and are currently up 6 to nothing in the top of the sixth inning. Moving on, the Seminoles beach volleyball team continued their good form this season on Friday, beating both the South Carolina Gamecocks and, and the hosting Florida Atlantic Owls in the Boca Raton Beach Borough Bash. The Seminoles went a combined 9-1 and one over the two games, sweeping sweeping the 10th-ranked Gamecocks. The team was led by the duo of Elena Chacon and Madison Fitzpatrick, who have yet to lose a match all season for Coach Brooke Niles. Florida State will face off against USC in Long Beach State on March 7th before playing in the East Meets West Invitational this weekend against the aforementioned Trojans, UCLA, Hawaii, and Pepperdine in Manhattan Beach, California. That was all for your seminal segment. Now back to Nick and Chris in the studio. Thank you so much, Scott. And I give you a lot of, of brownie points for saying something about UCF with Luke Fay in the vicinity. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he he was not happy to hear that. Uh, Dakota, you uh, during the break you uh, pointed me to a nice stat on your screen. I don't know if, if you want to tell tell us what what just happened in that softball game yes well while fsu seems to be ruling ucf right now callie harrod got her hundred stolen base which is now sixth in fsu history well, so i'm sorry that. hundred stolen base this season or no, career no. i was like wait career. a second no. <laughs> like, wait a second hundred hundred this season they're really rolling yeah, yeah. <laughs> stealing home jackie robinson in it yeah they're just repeatedly running around the base path. There's no batting anymore. There's it's just no, straight stolen no bases. Mar- Marlins would have their phones blowing up right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the on the uh, other side of the break, we were talking or getting into talking about uh, some of Florida State basketball or men's basketball, rather ACC uh, hopes and dreams and uh, uh, what we expect uh, to happen over the next couple of days. Of course, we said uh, Virginia Tech. Uh, that is a huge game, probably the biggest game since the Duke game, um, and especially at home. It's going to be the uh, the season finale at home for the Seminoles. Fourteen and fifteen, uh, the, the rankings in terms of rankings. Fourteen and fifteen. It's about as it's about as even as you get at this sure. point in the season. Uh, Chris, Jacob, what are what are we seeing to happen in this game here? Kevin Gelly takes over, <laughs> thirty points, dominant. No, absolutely. Well, honestly, <laughs> honestly, that with how he's played the entire season, that's that's yeah, not, but not 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 against the Virginia Tech team. Not, not, not at least, not at least tomorrow. But it's gonna be tomorrow is gonna be a game that you're gonna want to be. I almost said inside of Dope Campbell Stadium, inside of the Tucker Center. Um, I'm excited to see what that energy is gonna bring. Uh, not only from the fans, I know those players because this is gonna be for a lot of the players on the team. Well, maybe not a lot. I was gonna say the last home game, but. How many well, seniors? Well, man, we... Kofer, Kofer's a senior. Kofer. Uh, Man's a senior. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris is a senior. Chris, Chris is a senior, and then I think everybody else is junior. Maybe is PJ is PJ Savoy senior? I as think well? Savoy is a senior as okay. well. Yeah. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a, there's a select pool of players that are going to be playing in their uh, last home game here at the Tucker Center. So, or well, not here, but at the Tucker Center. <laughs> uh, we're pretty close to the Tucker Center, so we are. I mean, we're 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 we almost l- here. Yeah. <laughs> we're almost there. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, I extend the the same question to you, Jacob. How what do you, what do you see happening in this game versus Virginia Tech? Uh, Virginia Tech's always a team that's uh, they're going to play you tough. They're uh, they're uh, led by Buzz Williams, who's known for physicality. You know, hard defense. They're a balanced team. Uh, they have four guys that are averaging thirteen plus points, and uh, another guy averaging eight and a half. I think, um, however, of those guys, only one is a forward. I think they're very uh, guard heavy. And I think, like 
like Chris was saying, uh, I really think that uh, this could be another big game for uh, Cabin Gelly. I mean, every game is a big game from <laughs> Cabin Gelly, it seems like at this point. But it's uh, him and Kamaji, I think they could uh, think they could really do some damage against this Virginia Tech team. So you think this is a game in which the front court for Florida State will take over? I think so, especially with Kamaji coming on. He's probably playing the best he has all season in the last five or six games. I think that uh, if it were ever going to happen, I think it would be tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, indeed. Dakota, you were talking before the break about how important this this would be uh, for Florida State to win, uh, essentially locking up the fourth seed in the ACC championship. But just in the big picture kind of thing, uh, and I'm talking ACC championship, I'm talking uh, national uh, NCAA uh, tournament berth. Uh, what what would this win mean? Well, both these teams have been projected by multiple like outlets as either a four seed or a five seed, and they, they've literally been interchangeable in these polls, pretty much, in these predictions. They they win this game over VT. It gives them another win over a highly ranked opponent who has very good notable wins. Like I was saying, they just beat Duke. You know, may not, may not be the best version of Duke like we saw at the beginning of the season, but Duke team nonetheless. This is going to put them higher in the eyes of the committee who – Puts, slots these teams in everywhere, and that will that'll go a long way, especially in determining who they play. Because sometimes the difference between that four and five scene, we've we've seen the big dance get crazy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, uh, Chris. Just taking a look, and of course the season isn't over yet. <laughs> uh, but I'm kind of uh, not exactly sure that Wake Forest is going to change anything um, after the Virginia Tech game. Just taking a look at the the big wins that this program has had this season. I mean, you talk about uh, beating a team like Purdue, who absolutely put on a clinic against Ohio State over the weekend. Um, I think a win by what thirty five points. That sounds about right. Sounds so- something is. in that ballpark. Uh, ballpark. 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 <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Sebastian, I'm going to need you to delete that really quickly. <laughs> uh, that's become my favorite thing is just talking to Sebastian in the booth. Um, <laughs> where would uh, would this win? Uh, would a win rather? Uh, against Virginia Tech tomorrow night be the best win that Florida State has had this season? Or do you think something like uh, a win against Syracuse where they went into the Cario Dome, snapped a, a losing streak against Syracuse, and they beat that team by 20 points? Is something like that a little bit more significant? Or do you think that this this game potentially, if they win, would have greater ramifications? Uh, I think it depends on how they win it, to be honest. If it's if this is a sloppy game that Florida State comes back to win, I mean, yes, it, it looks great because, I mean, you know, that, that'll put us higher up in seedings. But I think if Florida State can can come out and compete and show that they're, you know, and get a sizable get a sizable lead on this team and be able to maintain it, because I think that's the big thing. And that, that's what we've seen in the past two games against Notre Dame and NC State is offensively they've been doing a lot better. It's their ability – to maintain control of their opponents, um, so in in regards to where this where this win, assuming it comes, will rank, uh, I I would put it up there. I, I still I still really like that win against Louisville. Uh, it was a big win against Syracuse, but I think I think the win against Louisville really showed that Florida State is in it to win it this year. And just going around the table here, just uh, game score predictions uh, for this game overall. What's 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 the outcome going to be from everybody, Chris? Give me seventy-four to sixty-eight, Florida State. Jacob. Uh man, I'm gonna go seventy-eight uh, sixty-five. I think they pull out a big win. Dakota. I'm gonna go seventy sixty-four. I think there's gonna be a defensive affair. They're gonna they're gonna lock down that pain. It's gonna be a lot of rebounding, lot a lot of hard work. They're going to be fighting for this win. 71-69, Florida State. It's going to be a game in which the front court uh, ends up winning the game with either a gigantic just monumental rebound or really uh, whether it's Kofer, whether it's Cabangeli, whether it's Kamaji, one of those three is going to have a really big game uh, against a Virginia Tech team, which does have a lot of fantastic guards. But um, obviously the front court can be a bit of a weakness for them. So it's switching uh, I mean, it's the same locker room, different gender, uh, to the women who wrapped up the season with a victory against Georgia Tech on the third, which was yesterday. Uh, 
you know, I, I kind of I kind of teased at Chris what how how I wanted to perceive this. Um, but just looking at what this team has been able to do, just how we both started saying, well, everybody knows this is a young team. We've, we've said it countless times on the show. We, we know that, um, you know, at least one of my biggest criticisms was, OK, so we know that Okomu is going to have off nights. We know that she's going to be the main uh, the, the main score for this team. Which one of these freshmen is going to step up? Who's going to step up behind her? Um, and then you see somebody like uh, like Wolfolk actually having developing that and becoming that that other option behind Gillespie and behind Okomu as the season uh, uh, the regular season rather came to an end. What what would you say is the story of this basketball team for this season? If you had to have a, a headline uh, for women's basketball, a headline. I was never very good at the headlines to be honest when it came to writing stories, but. <laughs> I can tell you this team is comprised of fast learners. Uh, considering, as, as you mentioned, it, it is a young team, um, I think you've seen <coughs> players in Naja Wolfolk and Nikki Akamu, they've come out and shown that they are essentially <laughs> the TAs to, to, Sue, to Sue Semrau, the, the coach and teacher of this team. Um, but honestly, I think the last two games have, have really put Naja Wolfolk in the spotlight. Um and just speaking to how, how she's come out, um, really maintained that pre- – like uh, the, the game against Syracuse, a, a, a Syracuse team that was number 14, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 17, at least, at 17. least in what it says at this point. Correct. Um, you know, that was a game that not many people were expecting Florida State to come out and put up a put up a tough fight. But Nikki Akamu – I'm sorry, excuse me. Naja Wolfolk comes out, puts up 29 points. Granted, that's almost dwarfed in comparison to their, <laughs> to Syracuse's number four. I, f- I forget her name, Tiana, Ma- uh, uh, Mangakia. Yes, Manga, it's very difficult. Something last like she's mm-hmm. she's from Australia. Mm-hmm. Puts up forty four points. They had no. I'm end. looking at it right now. Sixteen for twenty. Yeah. Uh, two for three from three point range. Ten three f- uh, free throws made out of eleven. Right. Um, e- even after a heartbreaking loss like that to a tough Syracuse team. You know, in the press conference, Coach Sue came out with with Valencia Myers, still had a smile on her face, and was, you know, you you call it what it is, and at the end of the day, you move on. Um, and I think this is a team that also has short term memory, and I think they've learned from what the from what they've needed to, and and I I think they have higher expectations now going into the ACC tournament than maybe we previously had for them. And just looking at the scoring for Florida State in that Syracuse game. Uh, Jacob, uh, 29 points for Wolfolk, 12 for Akomu, 8 for Jones, uh, 19 for Myers, and 20 points for Gillespie. Uh, that's, so that's four out of the five starters getting double-digit points. What can what can you say about the development of this team over the season? I mean, I think the, the word for this team this year is resiliency. I think um, this Georgia Tech game as well as the Syracuse game showed that. I think um, they were not – like you said, they were, came into the year um, – they still are a very young team, and people did not have a lot of expectations for that, for them. And I think that Coach Sue, I think she keyed in on that, and I think she's um, she's got them fired up, and she's got them peaking at just the right time. I think right in time for the uh, tournament next week, the ACC tournament. Dakota, no no bias involved here. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about about Coach Sue and what she's been able to do with this team. In your mind, is she the coach of the year, or should she be considered for coach of the year? I would definitely put her up there in consideration. I mean, we had we're basically clinching the sixth seed in the ACC tourney, and a lot of outlets did not expect the women's team to be within reach of this. It was their lowest predicted order to finish in the conference in 15 years, and yet it's the fifth straight year they rallied off 10-plus wins in one of the toughest conferences with a team that was looked at as a rebuilding team, yet here they are. There, there was a, there was one stat, um, and and I can't remember what it was off the top of my head. In which this was this was the only team in 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 the entire NCAA, or maybe it was just the ACC, in which there was no returning uh, starters <clears throat> from last season, or at least something that were seen that they were seniors or something of the other, and they still uh, won I think twenty plus games um, on the season. They're not playing like a very young team. They aren't. Not, not only is it the young guys they've all or the young ladies excuse me but they've also lost i want to say they've lost two starters and one of their main bench uh players onto season ending injuries and i just think that speaks to speaks to the mental strength of not only the coaching staff but also the the players and that um 
you know maybe with a little more a little more training that they they could be really something really special right it's that next woman up mentality the, sort nec- of thing. the, the next woman up mentality so uh correct me if i'm wrong but the acc championship does start uh this thursday uh, Is it this for, Thursday? I think really? it's this Thursday, I Luke. If you sh- wanna, if you wanna stat check that for me, um, it's on a Thursday. I know that much. I do believe it is this Thursday. So, um, we're just gonna, for clearance on that, um, <clears throat> excuse me. They will either it starts March sixth. Yes. March sixth. So it is this Thursday. So I'm getting. I'm actually feel like I'm coming down with something as I speak. Oh, good. About L- to, yeah, it's all. all yeah, it's all. It's all good. Let's just lose my voice. Uh, <laughs> the, the money maker. Um, <laughs> let, let's just let's just lose it. Going into the ACC tournament, obviously, Dakota, you said lo- uh, locking up. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, locking up the the six seed. Where do you all see this team ending up? Not only in the ACC uh, tournament, but uh, the NCAA tournament. Uh, I don't see them coming out with the ACC title, unfortunately. Well, I, I think you, you yes. probably it probably would have I'm been just, a smart decision. To... Yeah, <laughs> um, I could see this team making it to the quarterfinals in the ACC tournament. Maybe they'll they'll face a team because uh, that that'll be the end of the double bye week. Uh, coming on and playing a team like Louisville, maybe a Notre Dame, but uh, I I don't. I don't know that they'll be able to make it past a team like like a Louisville or a Notre Dame. Uh, if they play NC State, that's a different story. It's a possibility. Uh, ACT tournament's not looking great. But in the NCAA tournament, I see them making it past the round of 32, but farther than they did last year when they got knocked out, upset by Buffalo. Jacob, Dakota? I would do you one better, Chris. I think they get to the semis in the ACC tournament. Okay. Referencing that NC State game, they they came back from down 14. Horrible first half in terms of shooting and offense, especially for Gillespie, who's leading the team with 10, 20-plus point games this season. She was one for eight, I believe, in the first half. Wow. And in the fourth quarter, she, she had just ice in her veins. She closed out the third after a big run by NC State to get close, just – Look the defender straight in the eyes and drop the three to close the quarter. The, the, the James Harden, yeah, <laughs> the the six step, uh, uh, the six step travel uh, uh, step back. She didn't uh, need six steps. All she needed was the little you know stutter step and yeah. then just drained it. Hand down, woman down. Hand, <laughs> hand down, woman down. Uh, Jacob. What do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with Dakota here. I think they have a strong showing in the ACC tournament, and they make it to the semifinals. I think, um, like I said before, they're playing well right now, and I think that uh, going into the tournament with a little momentum, I think this is the formula for teams like that. You know, you go into the tournament and you feel good. You have a good showing in your conference tournament, and, you, you know, you never know what can happen in March. Uh, stuff gets crazy. I'm not quite ready to say – you know they're going all the way yet, but I think uh, I think they'll have a nice showing. Nice showing. I, d- I don't think that anybody's le- beating Louisville this year. Uh, I mean it's they're tough. just they're just it'd, so good. It'd be great to have another Louisville Notre Dame. Uh, oh, absolutely. ACC final. Absolutely. Um, so obviously looking forward to that this week. That that tournament starts on Thursday. Uh, We're getting to the best part of the year. Best and, part of the year. I, I love March Madness. Oh, I mean, it's I mean, it's my favorite. Basketball is my favorite sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, March Madness is without a doubt my well, favorite. Well, I, I my should favorite. clarify: second to October baseball. But for for me, absolutely no, no, no. for me. Like, <laughs> I'm like, uh, who do you think I am? No, Chris. I'm for me, bud. I'm gonna I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have to change my my intro for you. Maybe what? maybe we're not as close as I thought we no. were. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, go ahead and tweet that. Uh, Chris Camacho and Nick Carlisle not as close as they thought no. they were. Um, <laughs> Hey, we, we it's opposites that attract. Yeah, fun. yeah. Huh. Um, so we have we have about eight minutes left in the show. Uh, out of Florida State to talk about. Uh, we actually went through it quite quite efficiently. I think um, there was lots to talk about. Lo- lots of lots to talk about. Um, so last week we talked about we talked about uh, the Manny Machado baseball deal and how mm-hmm. that domino fell. And now Bryce Harper got his deal, finally, after three months of waiting for him just to go to the I mean, team that he, we all thought we, he was going to go to. He got his life made, is what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> that man does not have to worry about a cent for the next 13 years. Are you kidding me? Well, at least until, like, the next five or six years until the Phillies maybe not don't like the uh, the other half of that Doesn't contract. matter. They can't well, opt out. They can't know. trade him away. That's it. 
So that's your, that's just your general thought on it. What are what are your general thoughts on this well, deal? Well, look, <laughs> and and I guess the Nolan Arenado deal too. I mean, that was gigantic as well, and that's kind of been pushed under the rug. Sure. No, well, starting with 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 the Harper deal, I, I think in the short term, it's a great deal for Philadelphia. In the long term, great deal for uh, for Bryce Harper. Um, I think even though Harper wants to bring a championship back to DC, um, <laughs> I, I think again in the short term it works out great for Philadelphia. They're they're getting arguably one uh, one of the best outfielders in the league um, for um, for a hefty price, but it's not thirty million a year like like Machado's getting paid, even though he's an infielder. Which I thought was so surprising that it was actually a lower amount of money, in, but in, of sure. course more years. But obviously I think what Philadelphia is looking at is a certain Mike Trout in Los Angeles whose contract ends uh, in 2020, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that all depends on what you know the Angels decide to do with Well, Mike you know, Trout. Chris, that would be tampering. Uh, <laughs> if this was the NBA. Well, um, you know, oh, wait. <laughs> if this was the NBA, well, it's okay. Magic Johnson's not the the GM for the Angels, so okay. it's fine. That's good. Um, but I think it works out great for uh, for the Phillies in the short term. And like I said, Harper doesn't have to worry about anything until he's thirty nine years old. Right, Jacob. What do you think about the deal? Uh, I mean, I think it's pretty outrageous for one. Uh, <laughs> I just don't see. I just don't see this quite working out for the Phillies the way they think it is. Um, I think that the the way that Harper has played, you know, he went through that whole weird thing with D.C. where they weren't on good terms, and then he won them back over. And I just – I don't think uh, – I think Bryce Harper's a little overrated, personally. Uh, do you think he's going to just go in and mess up that locker room, or do you think he's just not going to play the, well? I think the locker room's a little fragile to begin with, with uh, Kapler being the manager. The guy's – a weirdo <laughs> to put it lightly um i just think i just don't think that uh bryce harper is worth the 13 years that the phillies have now committed to him with no way to get out of it dakota i find it interesting that it took so long to get these deals done mm-hmm. that's that's my main takeaway the owners were kind of trying to almost shelter some of their cash it seems like this season it, as opposed to most sports where you and most seasons of baseball where you have this giant spending spree in the off season by these giant by these big market teams and it was equivalent to a couple months just like a standoff in negotiations finally broke finally the floodgates broke with that deal though and uh just what do you what do you see happening for the Phillies this season i mean Obviously, with a player like Bryce Harper, I think even though uh, Jacob thinks he's a little overrated, he's going to make your baseball team better. What do you see for the Phillies now that they've gotten this deal done, Chris? Well, I mean, I don't completely disagree with him either. Uh, he did. Bryce Harper did not have a great season last year. Uh, his things started to pick up after the All Star break, but I, I think it's it gives more attention to Philadelphia. I still think they're a team to watch. I, I think they're going to compete closely. With Atlanta for the top of the NL East, um, I think it adds a little more, a little more firepower to that lineup. But at the end of the day, I still think Atlanta takes the NL East. And from what I hear, DC isn't completely out of it, even though they're missing Harper. So something that you wanted to talk about, Chris, <clears throat> originally it was a potential runner for the uh, the off the top segment. Uh, you mentioned to me something about how Kyler Murray is apparently not did not throw at the uh, the combine. Uh, and there was an article that came out about uh, whether or not him not throwing at the combine was a deal, a huge deal or not. Um, and I'm just really curious now that we have a still a couple of minutes to go. What you all think? Do you think uh, you know Murray should have thrown at the combine? Do you think that it's going to have a severe negative implications on his draft stock, or is it going to really just keep him fresh? And you think scouts are going to be satisfied with what they've already seen? This goes for anybody. I think he's got enough. Uh... He's got enough tape out there that he doesn't need to throw at the combine. That's that's not the numbers they're usually looking for out of people. They want they want to see more of the athletic skills because they'll see the throwing on film for QBs. They want to see the other measurables, the speed, the quickness. That's what they're looking for. Like that's why DJ Metcalf has shot so far up the boards because he's posting insane forty times in verticals and just looking absurd you know on instagram and i'm sorry what is dj metcalf's dk uh, dk oh i'm sorry excuse me DK. uh his um his fat 
his fat percentage. Oh yeah, he said he was at one point six. <laughs> that that's that number may be a bit skewered. <laughs> that that that's a near. The man fatal looks numbers. like he was chiseled out of marble. I don't know. Like, did y'all see that picture? I will that was say. ridiculous. All I'm saying is I'm like, look, the do- I'm just speaking to Dolphins, right? Dolphins people right now. Look, Devontae Parker didn't work out. <laughs> this guy can work out. <laughs> Please trade up and get him. I no don't- one's going to want to tackle a 235-pound, you know, wide receiver. Well, I mean, and just, and, uh, just thinking about what the pieces that they have already, you have two of the fastest players in the league in Albert Wilson and, J- and uh, Jakeem Grant. You have that tall, physical, will go up and get it, and he'll run you over after he picks it up or he, he catches it. So uh, really looking forward to that. So, Chris, what, what do you think about Kyler Murray not throwing? Um, you know, I, I'm going to have to agree with Dakota on this. I don't think it's it's a make-or-break thing. I was watching something on ESPN, and it was talking a lot about how, you know, quarterbacks have, have had that option to not throw. Cam Newton talks about how, well, you're a quarterback. This is what you do. This is This is your opportunity to demonstrate to – all of the coaches and stuff, why you should be taken, why your arm is stands out above the rest. Um, so in that sense, I think he's gonna miss, he's gonna miss out on that opportunity to show it on a stage that's meant to show that off. But as Dakota mentioned, there's tape for that. If anything, they'll see it on the field. Let's take a look at what else he can do. Jacob, you get the final word. What do you what do you think about this? I really don't think it's uh, that big of I I don't think it's make or break really for Kyler, especially considering the fact that he said he's going to throw and run, do all of the drills at Oklahoma Pro Day. Now, I'm not sure he'll follow through on that. That's what he said as of now. I think if he ends up throwing at Oklahoma Pro Day, I think he'll be just fine. Um, yeah, more so for me, like uh, like Chris was saying with what, what Cam said, I just don't know why you wouldn't. If he genuinely, you know, I'm sure he believes he's the best quarterback in the class. He very well might be. Why not go out on national television in front of every single scout, in front of every single GM? Why would you not want to compete and put yourself in that upper echelon? However, it doesn't surprise me considering the way he's handled some of the interview process and the way he's handled some with the whole baseball thing, you know. And that is perfectly uh, great great job Jacob that actually ended perfectly eight o'clock on the dot that's about all the time we have for Tomahawk talk this week thank you so much for tuning in with us on this Monday night uh, new releases up next you are uh, listening to WVFS Tallahassee the voice of Florida State new release